You're listening to Huddle Up, a football podcast. Each week, Tony Dyer leads the huddle and tackles the hottest topics around the NFL. He's joined by guests from all around the football world, bringing their insights and reactions to the news and noise of the National Football League. Subscribe now to join the huddle. Welcome back to Huddle Up, a football podcast. Guys, we're getting back to our roots today. Back to the first, like, three or four episodes. You know, this is the fifth year of this podcast, and Corey has been with me the entire way. Daniel's been on a couple of years. Corey's there from the start. I say from the start, but there was three or four episodes there at the very beginning. Very beginning. And it was just me. Just me and a microphone sitting at my bar. We talked about this recently. I'd write out a bunch of thoughts. I'd turn on a microphone, and I'd roll. Uh, we're getting ready to start off the season. I don't want to miss any more weeks. The other guys had some plans that were, that were, you know, ahead of time. They got families. It's the end of summer vacation. We got some stuff that has to get done. But damn it, the show must go on. And so I'm back, baby. So today you just get me. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite parts of sports betting. It's the futures. I really like sports betting. I mean, I didn't think that I would ever get to the point where I was so comfortable with any sport that I would bet on it. And the truth is, I've learned not to bet on any sport other than football. Been burned by that before. I'd encourage you to only bet on sports you understand. I did this weird thing with tennis. Like right when DraftKings came out, uh, it wasn't football season and tennis was happening. And so I was literally sitting there not knowing even, like I couldn't even pronounce the names of the players I was betting on. Didn't understand the rules of the game. Didn't know what it was telling me and I was just hitting shit. Don't do that. Not interested in that. Bet sports, you know, that's what we're going to talk about today. I've learned that the futures, like looking forward really long term, has been a lot of fun for me. So that's what we're going to go over. We're going to look at kind of the way that I analyze the way I make some bets. I'm not only talking about futures. I'm going to look at the way I talk about some week one um, over under bets. I think that's a fun thing to do week one because really it's kind of easy. And one of the things that you'll see throughout the rest of the show is I try to minimize the risk. I'm not really trying to do crazy shit here. And when I do something crazy, we're going to offset it by making a little bit less of a wager. We'll get into that. But here's kind of the way I look things over. I'm going to start with week one bets. I think we're three weeks out now. Preseason's officially started. Um, Week one has a reputation for historically being under. The Vegas sets a bunch of lines based off of not really knowing anything other than what we see on paper. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is now in Vegas. Josh Jacobs is not in Vegas for now. Sean Payton moves to Denver. They have to make up these lines with almost no information. Like everything is different. And so typically, the, the lines are just wrong. What we found is since 2000, the under has hit 52.6% of the time, 181 of 344 games. Now, that sounds pretty good. Like, it sounds like they're pretty close. And really, I guess statistically, they are pretty close. About half the time they're right and half the time they're wrong. But on specifically, in week one, on the unders, they're usually wrong. 52 is not good. Vegas wants to be under 50, right? If we go all the way back to 1986, so they've gotten better at it recently. Going back to 1986, that's when the first over-under of the, st- of the data source that I was looking at, it's as far back as they went. So when I went back that far the under hits at 50.9% of the time. So Vegas is actually getting worse at the over-under than they were 30 years ago. That's fucking wild. 
That's completely wild to me. So I'm going to attack over-unders week one. I think it's a lazy opportunity that with a little bit of thought, I can maybe potentially win a little bit of money. Now with that, multiple times I'm going to say, I'm doing this here by myself. I bet a little bit, I'm a little bit reckless with betting sometimes. Like I'm very lucky. I'm not saying that I bet large amounts. Here's my process. I set aside a hundred dollars at the beginning of the year. And that's, I throw a deposit into DraftKings and that's my gambling money for the year. As soon as I can get that hundred back, I take it back. And then I'm playing on house money for the rest of the year. If I lose it all, I'm done. I don't get to put another deposit into DraftKings. So my first few weeks, like the week one over-unders here, uh, yeah, the week one over-unders, I'm very, very conservative in these early bets. Uh, bet what you can afford, be ready to lose it all, and don't get lost in this, guys. This is, this is not something that's worth ruining a life over, but it is fun, and it can be fun. So let's dig into week one a little bit too. A little bit, I'm sorry, let's dig in a little bit more to week one. 52% doesn't sound promising as far as the over-unders always being under. I said it was 52.6%, but let's dig in. We want to we take advantage of all the information. Let's weed out some of the bad eggs because there are some games that you're not going to bet the under on. Games like Kansas City, right? You're not betting the under. It's the highest. That happens to be the highest over-under of the week. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's not a game you're going to want to bet the under on. What I mean is teams with bad defenses and high-powered offenses, like the Lions, who play Kansas City, you want to avoid those games. You also want to avoid real extremes. So the, the teams that are down in like the 40s, you probably don't want to bet the under on the Vegas's lowest projected score because it just doesn't make sense. It's an extreme. There's too much risk down there. What are the odds that each team only scores 20 points? It's not very likely. Average last year was 24 for both teams. So one of those teams goes hot, and the next thing you know, your bet's completely ruined. So avoid the lowest of the low. I would avoid those week one. And the highest of the high, I probably would, I mean, you can consider them, but they're also relatively capped at 57, uh, I'm sorry, 54 is the highest with Detroit and Kansas City. And yeah, that's pretty high, but would anybody be shocked if both of these teams put up 30 points? Because I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at all. So avoid the extremes, avoid the low ones, avoid the high ones. The other thing that we really want to avoid is anything that's unknown due to any changes in the preseason. We're not betting on those things in week one for a week one only game. Okay? It doesn't make sense. There's too much risk. You're going to probably lose your money because Vegas has most likely done a whole lot more homework than you have. And they've got really cute ways of manipulating your brain into making bad bets. That's a real deal. That really does happen. So avoid things that are unknown. Teams who made really big offseason moves... They sometimes start out real sluggish. Sometimes they start out real hot, right? Because it works for a second and then it gets figured out real quick. It's just, you, you don't know what you're getting into when say, I'm going to bring up Sean Payton a lot. <clears throat> but when Sean Payton comes in to a system, you don't know how that's really going to work. It's a big change what's happening in Denver. And I don't expect it to happen overnight. They were one of the worst teams in football last year. It's not a team I'm real interested in putting bets on. I'm not betting my money on a team that I know sucks that now all of a sudden has a quarterback who has a new set of rules for him to play by. Literally, not just a rule book, but like the way he handles himself, the people he's around, his training staff is different. Like he's not allowed to have his own personal coach anymore. Like there's some real shit going on in Russell Wilson's world and it might take a minute. It might take a couple games. I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding those at all costs. Because some stars break out and some just don't. So find a way to take 
avoiding the extremes, avoiding change. I mean, just find a way to blend all that together into something that makes sense to you and take the most calculated risk possible. So here's some games I'm avoiding. Let's look at week one. I'm going to start getting into some of these. Week one, I'm avoiding. I already said Detroit and Kansas City. 54 is the highest of the week. I'm avoiding that. Detroit's a terrible defense still. That hasn't changed. Like they're a little bit better, but it's still terrible and an incredible offense. We all know what Kansas City's capable of. 54 is probably too low, to be honest with you. Like this could very easily be a 60 or 70 point game. Wouldn't surprise anybody. I'm not betting the over. I'm not betting the under. It's a game I'm staying away from. The Bills and the Jets at 47. That's another game I'm staying away from. And again, because of some change, I believe it's going to work with Aaron Rodgers in New York, but I'm not willing to put my money in on the first game. I want to see it once against a good team. And luckily, the first game we get to see happens to be against a good team. So I'm not betting the Bills-Jets. Tennessee-New Orleans, another game that I'm not betting. This falls into the rules that I made about not betting extremes, 41 and a half. Not happening. I'm not doing it. New Orleans is sneaky, underrated. The game's probably going over. But I'm not betting either way. I'm not betting either way at all. And then Houston-Baltimore, another game I'm avoiding. Uh, This is because of the unknowns. Houston is kind of starting to look like a different team, right? Baltimore is probably capable of the 44 points by themselves. So avoid the games. And this is how what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to manipulate the 52% that goes under by eliminating teams that I think are most likely to go over because half of them do. So let's identify those because if we get those out of the pool, then all of a sudden the 52% that's sitting in front of us in our our queue in DraftKings is now 60%. And you're more likely to, to just randomly pick one that wins. And that's what this is, right? That's what gambling is. There's a lot of fucking luck involved. So now those are out of the way. Here are some games that I'm targeting. Cincinnati and Cleveland. They play each other week one. Not a lot has changed here. But the biggest thing that hasn't changed is Deshaun still hasn't played any football in three years. I mean, he played a couple games, like four games, five games last year. But he still hasn't done it. So here's a game where the over-under set at 47. And I think they set this based off the potential of what this team could be. I don't think that that's ill-advised, but I think they're wrong. I think we're going to see a slow start out of Cleveland. And I think that Cincinnati in the past has kind of had some slow starts too. Now, Joe Burrow special, Jamar Chase, we're going to talk about him a little bit. He's, he's favored to be the offensive player of the year. Jamar Chase is, by the way, over Justin Jefferson. It's a fantastic team in Cincinnati. But at 47 and a half, I could see them potentially struggling to hit that in week one. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I am doing it. It's the under. I got confused for a second. Next one, Raiders Broncos. Here's a bunch of change. Uh, and I said to avoid change. When, I guess I meant that when we're making bets in general. But here's the reason why I, I am going against what I said. The change with the change that I'm seeing that affects them the most is honestly Josh Jacobs not being around and a new quarterback that has to learn a new system on both sides. In this situation, I guess I'm kind of betting against the teams because of the change. It's the line is set at 44 and a half right now, and I'm betting the under on that. If Josh Jacobs turns around and comes back to camp before, before week one, we're going we're gonna to end up hurting ourselves on this bet because that line will go up 
That line's going to go up if Josh Jacobs backs. I don't know. Is it a point? Is it a point and a half? Is it a half a point? I don't know. I think it's more than a half a point. I don't think it's two points. So let's say it goes up a point. You're really not losing much to place the bet. But I do see the Raiders as a little bit dysfunctional right now. They're not on the same page. And we know what Josh McDaniels has done in the past. He is historically disappointing with football. Like he needs a head coach as much as his players need a head coach. And quite frankly, there's not a head coach in the locker room. So the Raiders are in trouble. Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. He luckily finally made it back. Uh, I just am not real optimistic on the Raiders this year. And they're another team like Denver that's going to struggle a little bit to get started. They're going to have to find their identity again. Uh, Devontae Adams is there. He can make some stuff happen. But at 44 and a half points, I'm taking the under, under, under. Look, just don't get cute. Like, look at these things like with some kind of logic. That's really all you have to do is apply logic to a football game that you know a little bit about. You'll figure it out today. I saw somebody, I saw somebody today do something some fucking so crazy. They parlayed every under for the entire week. It's like 16 game parlay under. I mean, the odds were awesome, but there's no fucking way that's happening. I don't encourage you to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting a dollar on that. But I guess if you got a dollar to waste, then waste it. Um, another fun bet. So I'm moving on from week one. Those are my, those are my over-unders. So what I'm targeting is Cincinnati and Cleveland, and I'm targeting Raiders Broncos. Those are the two that I picked out that I think are most likely to hit the under. Um, I did see a fun bet on, on DraftKings though. And I keep saying DraftKings because just because that's what I use. That's what I started with. That's, it's just what I'm comfortable with. I know, I know a lot of people use FanDuel and I would encourage everybody to look at both because there are different um, props, there are different bonuses, there are different, you know, each of them are a little bit different. I wouldn't necessarily discourage you from putting a, taking your pot, whatever your budget is, splitting it in half and throwing it in both of them. It does help protect you a little bit. It gives you some options as far as, um, you know, the different, uh, what's the word here? Promotions. So yeah, look at both of them. But I personally, I enjoy using DraftKings, so that's why I keep bringing it up. Anyway. A week, it's a four-week bet on DraftKings. So it's kind of a future. It's like a warm-up to my future bets here. It's about who's going to throw more touchdowns. And it says it's a Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers bet, but it's really more like uh, Peyton versus Hackett, right? Like, that's what this is about. This is beef between two head coaches. I didn't spend a lot of time looking at this, but I thought it was a lot of fun. So there were two options. There were three options I could choose. Uh, the two that I focused on were games one, who's going to win more games in the first four weeks. And I didn't like either of the schedules. And then there was who's going to throw more touchdowns. And that one I felt like was pretty easy. So uh, Denver doesn't have it real easy in the touchdown department for the first four weeks. They played the Raiders, Commanders, Dolphins, and Bears. All of those teams, except for the Dolphins, I think have better defenses than they do offenses, uh, which is going to make it difficult for... Denver to get their feet underneath them. With that in mind, uh, they could make up some ground with the Dolphins, right? Like if this is working, then Denver could potentially make up some lost ground in a shootout with the Miami Dolphins. Now, having said that, back to the change and all the stuff I try to avoid, dude, I think Aaron Rodgers is, we're going to find out real quick if he's completely washed up or if Aaron Rodgers is the Hall of Fame quarterback that we all expect him to be. This is the best team I think that Aaron Rodgers has ever been on. 
and I know a lot of the offensive players I've like come from Green Bay, so don't get me crazy. But Garrett Wilson, I swear to God, like Garrett Wilson's the real deal. Uh, it's it's it replaces the Devonte Adams that was gone. If you had Devonte Adams on this team, I mean that would be the greatest team that he's ever played with. But that that didn't happen, right? So I'm not trying to say, uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. But this is the most complete team that Aaron Rodgers has ever been a part of. Now, if Brees Hall can get healthy and get back to business, right, that's going to change some things. We need him back um, for the sake of football. We all want Brees Hall back. We want him healthy, and we hope it works. Um, But with Russell Wilson being put back in his place as a player and not this weird um, player, coach, independent contractor role where he didn't have to follow the rest of the rules, like this, I keep going on about Denver having to take time. I think there could be a great team. I'm afraid it's going to take a minute and I'm not putting money in Denver's basket. And when I see an opportunity here for Aaron Rodgers to throw a couple more touchdowns than Russell Wilson, I mean, to me, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? So even if Wilson returns to Super Bowl form, I think Rodgers has the chip on his shoulder. He's got the better team. We know how the chip on Aaron Rodgers' shoulder goes, guys. Talking back-to-back MVP seasons because he was pissed off at his current coach. His current coach, his current front office. I mean, he was pissed off at everybody and he won. Now he's got something to prove. Now he's got something to prove. He's going to shove it down their face again. And I think the Jets have an opportunity to win here. He's, he's going to have to be driving the bus. And so I'm putting some money into Aaron Rodgers this year. I think that Aaron Rodgers will throw more passing touchdowns through weeks one, one through four than Russell Wilson will. The odds are 105. Vegas isn't overthinking it. I don't think you should either. If you disagree with me, I really don't give a shit. Then disagree with me and vote for Russell Wilson. But I think this is fun. Like, this is a fun bet. Um, and I think you should do it too. Another bet that I've always had fun with was comeback player of the year. I feel like um, it's a, obviously it's a hopeful bet. You're, you know, you're hoping for good football. You're hoping for good health. You're hoping for all kinds of stuff. So it's a, it's one that I spend a little more time on. It's a feel good bet, right? And typically you want to see a great season. I think about, Excuse me, I think about Alex Smith. You know, I remember placing, I put $100 on the Alex Smith comeback player of the year before he was cleared to play. And that was stupid. I, that was really stupid. Uh, but it paid out because I knew in my gut that if Alex Smith, after snapping his leg in half the way that he did uh, and that how close he was to death, that if he made one snap of football, that he would be the comeback player of the year. Sure enough, I was at a bar in Broad Ripple uh, and... Alex Smith comes marching on the field right in the middle of a football game. First snap, Aaron Donald's draping over his back. And I said, hallelujah, Alex Smith is back. And of course I knew that as the season went on and Alex Smith didn't get hurt and he continued to play, he played marginally. He played okay, but he was just a guy. I knew that he was the comeback player of the year. And sure enough, that's what happened. Now we're in a situation this year that's a lot like that. Damar Hamlin, it looks a lot like DeMar doesn't have to really play great football, and he could play great football. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. The injury that DeMar suffered was so traumatic that his mere presence may warrant comeback player of the year. I guess that's the right way to say that, right? Uh, The odds for that's minus 285. So by a long shot, I think Vegas agrees with this. Next best odds are Tua at plus 2,000. And that's where I'm going to put a little bit. DeMar is probably the right bet, but I'm not going to put enough money on that bet to be able to cash out anything of value. So instead, I'm going to look for something 
this is the first time we'll talk about this, maybe putting a lesser amount, having less exposure on something that you believe in that's just not as likely as the favorite. If Tua has a healthy season and there are no concussions, which is, that is totally possible, and that if he can find a way to level up yet again, right, he's going to have to do a lot to win this award. This award's going to have to be earned. But if he has the semblance of his best games last year, every game, without an injury. And by the way, Dalvin Cook out there, that contract is lingering for Miami. If da- imagine Dalvin Cook coming as another weapon for Tua. I mean, they're the second lowest odds. So Vegas thinks it's the second most likely. But at plus 2,000, I'm putting a little bit here, guys. You don't have to bet a lot of this to have fun with it. And only one's going to win, so... Throw a couple on there, a couple dollars here, $5 there. I like two enough, I'm going to put $10 on them. And if that hits, I'm going to be a little over 200 bucks in winnings. So that pays for some other bets. Be responsible, but you can diversify this a little bit. Another player to, to at least talk about, um, comeback player of the year candidate, Javante Williams. He's somebody that I don't think anybody expected to play for the first four or five weeks of football. But he didn't enter camp on the pup. Fucking unbelievable. Uh, Javante says he's ready for week one. Beat writers are saying that he's bigger and better than ever before, which I guess they're beat reporters. Like they fib, it drives clicks, and it drives a bunch of money to their parent companies. I get it. Um, But everything is trending towards Javante playing. The odds are plus 6,000. So I'm going to try it. Now, this one has more risk than any other bet I'll talk about for the rest of the day. I want to be clear. I don't think this is going to happen but it could happen. And because it could happen, it logically makes sense. I want a piece of it. I just want an opportunity at the winnings. But knowing what we know about Sean Payton, he utilizes multiple backs. And knowing that Samaje Pirine joined the backfield, I am concerned that I could be wasting a couple dollars here, right? I mean, very seriously, Javante could not get the opportunity needed to be the comeback player of the year. Because again, in order for somebody to usurp Hamlin from this role, they're going to have to come back from a traumatic injury and be a real league winner. Like, we got to be talking about a MVP caliber performance in order to take this from DeMar because DeMar's injury was so traumatic, not only for football, but really for the world. I mean, it affected everybody. So this is a super long shot, but I'm telling you, Javante, had he had it all. If he gets an opportunity to have 15 to 18 touches a game and he comes up with 13 to 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, that's the only way that it happens. I don't even think that's enough. And so I'm going to put a very low, very low amount on this. But Javante Williams is a guy that I'm at least paying some attention to, and I, I want to give him a nod here. I think it's possible for him to do it. Okay, so I just mentioned in order to usurp Hamlin from Comeback Player of the Year, Javante is going to have to do something like MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. So let's do that really quick. Um, I'm going to cut this short. This is going to be my last one. Offensive Player of the Year. Jamar Chase is the favorite at plus 1,100. Justin Jefferson, second favorite, plus 300. Christian McCaffrey, 1,500. Chubb, 1,700. There are only four players in the NFL with plus 1,000-something odds to win to win uh, Offensive Player of the Year. This is a massive opportunity to wager a very small amount of money and come out a winner. 
Again, bet smart. I guess bet as smart as you can. But this is a category where I will be putting multiple bets. Like I could be doing four or five different bets in this category because they're going to pay out, right? I'm talking about four under plus 2,000. Everything else is obviously over, right? One of them is guaranteed to hit. Not one of the four, but one of the, what, top 32? I mean, there's not going to be something crazy happen here. So here's a few things for you to kick around. A few players have won this award multiple times. There have been seven of them. Jerry Rice is the only receiver to ever earn Offensive Player of the Year more than once. So Justin Jefferson is a favorite of Vegas that I'm not going to waste a dollar on. It is already unlikely to win the award. It is that much more unlikely for him to win it twice. He's capable. I don't mean to be... I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm willing to be called an idiot if I'm wrong on this. I'm just not wasting money on that. It's so statistically impossible. Another fact, 26 of the 50 humans who have ever won Offensive Player of the Year have all been running backs. 26 of 50, more than half. Quarterbacks are second at 20. Okay, so we're looking really historically at quarterbacks and running backs. That leaves four for everybody else. And a word of caution, by the way, the everybody else, are, are they're all wide receivers. Only four receivers have ever won the award since 1972. Three of them have won it in the last three years. So this is the risk of what I'm about to tell you, because I'm not naming a wide receiver here and the players that I like best for Offensive Player of the Year. And it's very, very possible, given the state of the game, that a running back cannot win it. Given everything that's happening right now, it is completely possible. But I see two running backs that I absolutely love for this position. Nick Chubb has the most mobile quarterback available to him throughout his entire career. Some people say mobile quarterbacks hurt running backs. And they might be right for fantasy football because we talk about some of these touchdowns that get, that get stolen, leached. Like a like a Garrett Blunt almost, but wrapped up inside the quarterback. The, the truth is, in the NFL, corners have to respect Watson's ability to scramble. They won't be able to bum rush in to try to get to stopping a running back from coming up the middle. It's not an option for them, because if they're wrong, then they will be gashed for 10 to 15 yards every single time they do it. Corners are going to lose flexibility against Cleveland. That's where Chubb thrives. Chubb's got two years left on this contract, guys. He was at one point the highest paid running back in the league. And you know how how these GMs and owners, you're watching the league right now. They are not excited about paying that kind of money on new contracts right now. So they're going to get every dollar of Nick Chubb. He's now the clear feature back. There's nobody behind him. He's going to get the ball 20 times a game. I'm telling you right now. The number is 20 times a game. Chubb has dipped in efficiency, but not enough to take him out of that elite bracket. He's never in his career been under five yards of carry throughout an entire season. Never. Last year, he averaged 18 touches a game at five yards of carry. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of improving to get this guy into really, we're going to be talking about, this sounds insane. I didn't know I'd be going down this road, but we could be talking about a Hall of Fame career out of Nick Chubb really soon with one incredible one more incredible year. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame running back today. He could be, not today. 
don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying he hasn't shown signs of stopping, and the team doesn't have any other outlet at the position. Not one of any value. I mean, not one of comparable value. So with the running back room thinner than ever, it is wheels up for Chubb. The odds are plus 1,700, so I want a piece at it. I'm also going to take Saquon Barkley for plus 5,000. This is another example of what I was talking about earlier with Javonta Williams. Except the difference to me is this one makes even more sense. Like this one, I actually like. I believe this one could happen more than I want Javante to happen. So here's another example of a low wager bet that could pay off massively. What that means is $100 pays $5,000 or $10 pays $500. A little more, a little more, but that's the point, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Saquon's going to be offensive player of the year, but there is a real legitimate chance. The, the dots are there to connect. Vegas is only saying, by the way, let's put this into perspective. Vegas has the Indianapolis Colts winning the Super Bowl at plus 10,000. So they're saying it's twice as likely for Saquon to be offensive player of the year. I think it's like 10 times as likely. You guys know how I feel about the Colts. Like he is 10 times more likely to win this award. Vegas has this wrong. Now, obviously the Giants went out and paid Daniel Jones. They paid him $160 million, pissed off Saquon real good. They franchise tagged him. Y'all know the story. He throws a fit, doesn't show up for a couple of days, and then he signs a contract for pretty much the same amount as the franchise tag. But don't be fooled by these contracts. Do not be fooled. Daniel Jones's arm is enough to win a couple of games. But this New York Giants team knows that if they want a shot at a legitimate playoff run, it will be done on the back of Saquon Barkley. The only issue with him is his ability to stay on the field. Last year, he played 16 games, over 1,600 yards from scrimmage, double-digit touchdowns. He's a less efficient runner than Chubb, who I just talked about, for probably way too long. But Saquon makes up for the lack of ground yards by being one of the best three-down backs in the game. I mean, he could never come off of the field and help in any way to move the chains, except for maybe passing. Saquon's too good. The odds are too good. I'm taking a shot here. If I hit it, I told you, $10. I'm putting 10 bucks on it. 10 bucks turns into 500. I couldn't be happier. You've been listening to Huddle Up, a football podcast. Subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us at Huddle Up NFL and at Commissioner Mister on Twitter to keep up on the latest from the NFL and stay in the huddle. Huddle Up. Team on three. One, two, three, three.